friends, this is Joanna Brooks, fellow traveler in Mormon feminism and author of the Book of Mormon Girl, with a special request for you. You know, since the beginning of the Mormon feminist movement, we have published our own books, we have supported our own art projects, our own intellectuals, and I'm asking you one more time to pony up in support of one of our Mormon feminist sisters who I think is the most exciting and soon to be most accomplished public historian in Mormonism today. That's our girl, Lindsay Hanson Park, who tears it up on this podcast each week, bringing us incredible insights about the Mormon past, including polygamy and its persistent influence on the way we live our lives today. Lindsay does her thing, bringing us brilliance for pennies. What does she make? Cents on the dollar that every real Mormon podcaster makes. If that, it's up to us. It's up to us. If Mormon feminist history matters to you, if having incisive, intelligent critique of racial inequality, gender inequality in the Mormon church matters to you, will you support this podcast? As Mormon feminists have always done for each other, we've always published our own books. We've always supported our own arts. Let's pitch in to support one of our own, doing crucial intellectual work that's going to stand the test of time. That's right. Go to Feminist Mormon Housewives podcast.org look for the donate button and use paypal or whatever other means are at your disposal to become a monthly subscriber join me in becoming a subscriber to this podcast just ten dollars a month twenty dollars a month and you can hold your head high and know that you're contributing to a long history of mormon sisters doing it for themselves thank you Welcome back to another episode of the Feminist Mormon Housewives Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay, bringing you another episode in the Year of Polygamy series where we try to understand the practice of Mormon plural marriage. If this is your first time tuning in, I'd recommend going all the way back to episode one. This series is meant to go in order. If you're following the series closely, you know that we are studying the different fundamentalist groups that exist today, and then we're going to sort of jump back and go back in time and and figure out where uh, the LDS church is. Today I want to talk about the group that is quite popular, quite known lately as a fundamentalist group because of TLC's show, Sister Wives. We're going to be talking about the group, the Apostolic United Brethren, also known as the AUB or the All Red Group. Last time we talked about the LeBarons. That is one group. And as you know, fundamentalist Mormons are a large group of people. They're they're very diverse. So just as an or- overview, I'm going to take Principal Voices, which is a proponent of polygamy, a group that advocates for plural families. I'm going to tell you their sort of numbers of breakdowns. They estimate about 38,000 fundamentalists are currently living the principle. That would mean about anywhere from 15 to 16,000 independent folks living in plural marriage. Independent means they're not really specifically related to any group. They might attend LDS church, they might attend some of the other groups, or they might just do their own thing in their own home. Then there is the biggest group, the FLDS, which we will be talking about in a little bit. They have anywhere from 10 to 11,000. The AUB, who we're going to be talking about tonight, the All Red Group, 
according to Principal Voices, they have about 75 to 8,000 members. And this is the group that the Browns from TLC's Sister Wives is part of, the AUB. Then there's Centennial Park. They're anywhere from 1,500 to 2,000. The Kingston Group, also known as the Davis County Co-op, um, they've got about 1,500. And then there's sort of these other smaller groups, and there's about 1,500 of those. And, of course, these are not comprehensive. It's really hard to get uh, these groups to identify and to give correct numbers. But this is just an estimate that Principal Voices gave. I think it's a few years old, actually, but I will link to it on the site so you can see this chart, so this breakdown by affiliation. So let's talk about the timeline, sort of, so we can have some context to what we're going to be talking about. I'm going to go over a brief timeline of fundamentalism again. So 1896, Utah becomes a state. In 1898, B.H. Roberts is elected to the House of Representatives for the 56th Congress. His qualifications become challenged because he's polygamist and a Mormon. He is denied his seat. And as a result, Utah has no representation in the 56th Congress. Then we have 1903, Reed Smoot. Then we have in 1903, Reed Smoot is elected as a U.S. Senator. He is not a polygamist, but his qualifications are challenged regardless. And he is seated provisionally, but uh, is given a trial to test his qualifications. Due to powerful Republican influence, the negative decision of a committee of nine Republicans and five Democrats is overturned, and he is finally allowed to take a seat. In 1904, LDS President Joseph F. Smith issues a second manifesto. Remember, the first one is in 1890, saying polygamy is no longer practiced. In 1904, Joseph F. Smith gives a second manifesto, stating that any person that enters or solemnizes a plural marriage, quote, will be deemed in transgression against the church and will be excommunicated therefrom, end quote. In 1912, Lauren C. Woolley, who is son of John W. Woolley, gives the first written account of the disputed 1886 visitation by Joseph Smith and Jesus Christ to the then LDS Church President John Taylor. Woolley later maintains that plural marriage must and will continue. In 1913, Short Creek, later called Colorado City, Arizona, is settled by a cattle rancher named Jacob Lawrenson. By 1930, polygamists are firmly settled in the desolate area. In 1914, John W. Woolley is excommunicated from the LDS Church for noncompliance with the 1890 Manifesto. Then in 1918, John W. Woolley serves as a leader of the fundamentalists until 1928. In 1924... Lauren C. Woolley is excommunicated for publicizing the LDS church leaders took multiple wives after the 1890 manifesto. Polygamist Alma Dare LeBaron moves his family to northern Mexico to escape U.S. law enforcement. They set up their ranch called Colonia LeBaron, and uh, in, in 1924, John W. Woolley dies and is succeeded by Lauren C. Woolley as leader of the fundamentalists. In 1935, the Lees Ferry polygamists settle in Short Creek after being excommunicated by the LDS Church for refusing to renounce polygamy. J. Leslie Broadbent dies and is succeeded by John Y. Barlow. He begins the polygamous colony at Short Creek on the Utah-Arizona border, and I would recommend listening to the Short Creek episode that we taped a few episodes back. 
Barlow establishes a united order where members of the clan share resources. Some disagree with Barlow's appointment, resulting in Charles W. Kingston and Eldon Kingston creating a splinter group called the Latter-day Church of Christ, or the Kingston clan. An unsuccessful raid by the law fails to stamp out the fundamentalist colony in Short Creek. By 1942, pursuant to a declaration of trust signed by John Y. Barlow, Leroy S. Johnson, J. Marion Hammond, Joseph White Musser, and Rulon T. Jeffs, the United Effort Plan Trust is formed by the fundamentalists. It comprises and manages real property and improvements situated in Colorado City, Arizona, Hilldale, Utah, and Bountiful, British, and also British Columbia. 1943, the FBI raids Short Creek, and 15 men are sent to the Sugar House Penitentiary in Salt Lake City, Utah. Nine women are released by renouncing polygamy. Most return to Short Creek and immediately break their promises. Joseph W. Musser is among them, and we talk about him in the Short Creek Raid episode as well. 1949, John Y. Barlow dies and is succeeded by Joseph W. Musser. Musser leads the polygamous community in and around Salt Lake City. This group is later called the Apostolic United Brethren. And LeGrand Woolley leads the fundamentalist community at Short Creek. And this group becomes the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as FLDS, under the direction of Leroy S. Johnson. Later, a paralytic stroke partially disables Musser, and he designates Rulon C. Allred as his successor. This action predicates a schism in the sect, and ultimately Musser's successor is Charles Zitting. In 1950, the Canadian polygamists and the fundamentalists in Colorado City, Arizona, and Hildale, Utah, exchange young women as wives to strengthen ties between the two groups. In 1951, Alma Dare LeBaron dies. He is succeeded by his son, Joel, who eventually starts the Church of the Firstborn in the Fullness, fullness of Times in Salt Lake City. His younger brother is Ervil LeBaron, and the group eventually numbers about 30 families in both Utah and a community named Los Molinos on the Baja California Peninsula, and that was the episode we just talked about last episode. 1953, Governor Arizona Governor Howard Pyle Raid Short Creek. Newsreels portraying children being separated from their parents results in negative publicity for the governor, and it ends his political career. Twenty-three polygamous men are given only one year of probation, and the negative publicity actually helps Short Creek avoid interference from the law for many years after. In 1954, Musser dies, and Charles Zitting becomes the presiding elder of the FLDS Church. Four months later, Zitting dies, and Leroy S. Johnson leads the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The polygamous community splits into three groups when Musser dies, the FLDS, which stays in Short Creek, the Apostolic United Brethren, which relocates to Bluffdale, Utah, under the direction of Rulon C. Allred, and the United Latter-day Church, which relocates to Lexington, Nebraska, and then later to Layton, Utah. In 1961, Rulon C. Allred, who is now running this Apostolic United Brethren, purchases 640 acres of ranch land in the Bitterroot Mountains of Montana with the intent of establishing a united order for the Apostolic United Brethren Church, also called the Allred Group at this point. 1963, Hilldale, Utah is officially incorporated. Short Creek officially changes its name to Colorado City, Arizona. So the Hilldale... And uh, 
Colorado City are right next to each other on the border. 1972, Ervil LeBaron splits from his brother Joel, establishes his own church called the Church of the Lamb of God in San Diego, California. He puts a hit out on his brother Joel, has Joel killed. He passes um, the leadership of, of Joel's group, goes to his brother Verlin, and Ervil tries to also kill Verlin. He doesn't succeed in that, but he does succeed in killing many, many others. 1975, Ervil LeBaron orders the death of polygamist Bob Simmons in Grantsville, Utah. LeBaron and one of his wives, Vonda White, are responsible for many of the murders, including Ervil's own daughter, Rebecca. 1977, Rulon C. Allred, who is the leader of the Apostolic United Brethren Church, is murdered. Ervil LeBaron from the LeBaron group, puts a hit out on Rulon C. Allred. He also puts a hit out on all the other polygamous sect leaders, but he goes after Rulon C. Allred, and he is murdered in Murray, Utah. 1979, Ervil LeBaron is apprehended by police and extradited to the United States, where he, he is convicted of Rulon C. Allred's death. In 1980, Ervil LeBaron is sentenced to life in prison for Allred's death. While in prison, he continues to orchestrate murders. He puts a hit list together that includes some of his wife's and his children and many of his family members. And approximately 25 to 30 people are killed as a result of his, his uh, growing hit list. In 1981, Ervil LeBaron dies in his prison cell, apparently of a heart attack. His younger brother, Verlin, dies in an automobile accident in Mexico City. Two days after Ervil's body is discovered, Ervil's daughter, Jacqueline Barron, is later caught by the FBI. In 1983, the Allred Group, the Apostolic United Brethren, incorporates Pinesdale, Montana, close to Hamilton and Missoula. And by 1998, they boast more than 800 persons and 250 families. So... That was like a quick and dirty timeline of fundamentalism up until this point. I want to talk about the All Red Group, the Apostolic United Brethren, because I was shocked at how similar they are to the LDS Church. Now, I have to be careful because I have been talking to some of my fundamentalist friends from the AUB, and I was sort of saying the same thing, like, oh, isn't it crazy that we're very similar? And some of them said, no, 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 no. We are not like you. And I thought, wait a minute, you don't get to do that. That's our line. That's the LDS's line. We're the ones that say you're different. You want to be like us. And uh, it was such a wake-up call to me that some of my friends said, no, we don't want to have anything to do with you. So it's important to remember that some fundamentalist groups want to, to show how similar they are, while others don't. And it varies within in the groups, just like it would in the LDS church. I want to talk about some of the beliefs of the group, and then we are going to have um, some practicing members of the group come on the podcast. This is dependent on their schedule and um, some other things that are in play. And we also have some disaffected members who are going to come on and talk to those who have left the group, and they're going to share their stories. So be looking forward to that. Now remember that AUB's claims are based on the accounts of John W. Woolley and Lauren C. Woolley. And um, they they believe that they can trace their line of priesthood to President John Taylor. 
Taylor, remember, is said to have met with Jesus Christ and deceased church founder Joseph Smith Jr., and he was supposed to have received a revelation commanding that that plural marriage never leaves the earth. According to this narrative, John Taylor says that regardless of what happens with the government, this group, somebody needs to keep the principle alive on earth because it's such important doctrine. But the LDS Church can't do it for the time being. The following day, the Woolies, as well as Taylor's counselor, George Q. Cannon, and others were said to have been allegedly set apart to keep the principle alive. Members of the All Red Group see this history as going back to Joseph Smith, and they believe that not only did John Taylor's authority sort of trace back, but Joseph Smith gave it directly to the fundamentalists at this point. They sort of look at the modern LDS church as making unacceptable changes to doctrines and ordinances, like the garments, like changes in the temple, and of course the biggest one, the manifesto that ends the practice of plural marriage. Members of the AUB see it as their responsibility to sort of keep this critical, essential doctrine alive and to try to live all the laws that God commanded even though that they're difficult. So any doctrine that the LDS Church had abandoned up until that point, the, the AUB sort of lives and perpetuates. Let's talk about Rulon C. Allred for a minute. We always talk about his murder because he was murdered quite famously by Ervil LeBaron. But after the splits of the priesthood councils in 1952 and the death of Joseph W. Musser in 1954, Rulon C. Allred becomes in, sort of inherits this leadership and becomes this uncontested leader of the new council. And he was in hiding for a few years after the 1953 Short Creek Raid. He would say, quote, I remember when I left the state because I had to. I knew the warrants were out for my arrest. There were many brethren of the council who could safely remain here. I tried to carry on meeting them once or twice a month. Sometimes we met in Elko, Nevada. Sometimes we met in Malad, Idaho. Sometimes we met in Pocatello. But we got together, end quote. They needed to find a place to meet, and they were meeting in the old council building which was said to be where the Fashion Place Mall is in Murray, Utah now. The meetings usually had um, a bunch of fundamentalist men, and sometimes they would meet in the home of, Ru or of Owen Allred. In 1959, the Allred group had grown to a 1,000 members, and so they needed to expand, and eventually they sold the house to make room for the Fashion Place Mall, and the Allred Group leaders purchase land in Bluffdale, Utah, and that's how they become known as the Bluffdale, Utah. Now, I want to take a moment and talk about something that's sort of been on my mind about this. Up until this point, I have tried to use this podcast as a platform to tell the stories of women involved in these histories, and I think I've done that successfully up until this point. In studying fundamentalism, it seems largely focused on the men in these stories, and there are several reasons for that. First of all, I think that it is impossible to give the background of and the context of who these groups are without talking about the men involved because it's such a patriarchal church, it's such patriarchal groups that it's it's impossible to to avoid talk to avoid talking about these men. Second, I find it very difficult to find information about these men's wives. Uh, Corey Howard is going to be coming on. She's been doggedly studying uh, John W. Woolley's wives, and so 
we're going to have an episode next about that so you can hear these stories because it's important to me that we understand what this practice means to women. And of course, as we're talking about Musser and Allred and Wooly and all of these guys, remember that all of these policies that they're making, all of these practices, all of these laws, all of this drama is also deeply, deeply, significantly, if not primarily affecting the wives that they are married to at home. And so I apologize for not having more information on them. We're going to try to do our best, but maybe that's an area of study that you can go and do, and I would encourage you to do that. And third, in talking to fundamentalists, I've put a, I put several calls out to my contacts, and I have no problem getting women who have left the groups to come on and talk, but I do have a big problem trying to get women who are currently in the groups to talk to me. Their husbands seem to be willing and able to talk, which I appreciate. But at the same time, I find it troubling. So I talked to Anne Wild, who uh, has also agreed to come on the podcast. She is one of the founders of Principal Voices. And she told me that it varies. You know, it's a very patriarchal church by her words. Patriarchal order is the other word for plural marriage. And it's going to be a problem we're going to run into. So I'm going to do my best to let women tell their stories. Nothing against men, nothing against their situations, because plural marriage is hard for them as well. But I really want the focus of this to be on how it affects women. So anyway, I just feel like I have to say that because we're going to be talking about, when we're talking about the belief systems of the AUB, it is so entrenched through male lens, through men's voices and men's policies. And I imagine that if I were first introducing the LDS church to you, the story would be very similar because the leadership is all male. So let's get back to the Allred group. So they have, they're growing, they, they buy some land in Bluffdale. Uh, they have competitions and disagreements with LeBarons in, in Mexico, which, uh, you know, at this point have not escalated into anything dangerous lately. Rulon feels a need to respond to the conflict growing in Mexico with the LeBarons. So he chooses someone named John Butcherite, who is a member of the 1952 Priesthood Council to visit Mexico. And in 1956, John Butcherite goes to Mexico to set the LeBaron straight. Interestingly enough, Butcherite goes to Mexico and he actually becomes converted to the teachings of the LeBarons and he joins the Church of the Firstborn. So, unfortunately for Butcherite, ten years later, after he starts to criticize Joel and Ervil LeBaron's way that they're spending money and the way that they use their tithing, Butcherite is killed. He's shot dead by an unknown assailant, and his uh, death is surrounded with controversy. Rulon Allred decides in 1961 that he wants to purchase 640 acres in the Bitterroot Mountains of Montana, and I think he buys this for about $42,500. His intent is to establish a united order there. By 1983, this area is incorporated as the city of Pinesdale, Pinesdale, Montana, and it's located close to Hamilton and Missoula. We know that by 1973, there were more than 400 fundamentalists calling it home, and it nearly doubled by 1998. 
Today, it's said to be largely a self-contained community where it has its own school and church and supermarket and library and city hall and recreational areas and a bunch of little small businesses. Uh, the local leadership there oversees the day-to-day -day activities, but the, the group is still led by the priesthood council of the All Red Group. In the year 2000, many of the inhabitants that were living there had to leave. They were forced to flee because of the forest fires that uh, actually made the news and brought attention to their small little town. Rulon was really kind of ran tight control of the group. He replaced members of the priesthood council who died or apostatized. George W. Scott, Orman F. Lavery, Mar Marvin M. Jessup, J. Lemoyne Jensen, George E. Maycock, John Whitman Ray, Morris Y. Jessup, and William H. Baird were called to the new council. Throughout the 1960s, the group really only expands through new converts and childbirths, um, which, of course, they had a lot of. Now, Brian Hales criticizes these groups for not truly being fundamentalist Mormons because they do not preach. But it's important to know that, that they see themselves as waiting for the LDS church to do the missionary work, sort of partnering with them, at least this is my understanding, partnering with them to do the missionary work, and then they wait and have converts from the LDS church. In the church right now, plural marriages are always performed by members of the priesthood council. And so this might take place in a church or in a home or in a meadow, high in the surrounding mountains, or a sacred altar if they can find one. And Kristen Decker is going to come on and talk, and she has this great picture from her wedding, and it's, it looks like it's in this family home, and she's like in this wedding dress. So we're going to talk about that with her. By about 1970, the numbers of the AUB were close to about 2,500. And today, you can find most of the locations either in central or southern Utah. There's one group located in, in Cedar City that began under the direction of Rulon C. Allred. And it had 22 families and a bunch of small schools in 2003. There's another, uh, what they call satellite congregation, which was founded at Rocky Ridge, Utah. Marvin Allred, who is brother to Rulon and Owen, who are members of the priesthood council, directed the expansion and settlers went there and realized how terrible the land is and they called it Rocky Ridge. There's supposed to be some 50 families that still live at Rocky Ridge. And it's interesting because their structure is very similar. They have primary meetings, Relief Society, young women's organizations, and priesthood organizations. Their first chapel in Rocky Ridge was built in 1990. And it's big enough that it can accommodate up to 750 people. Also, interestingly enough, the All Red Group is international. They have members in Germany and in the Netherlands. And there's about 700 followers, 700 to 1,000 followers in Ozumba, Mexico. I hope I'm saying that correctly, which is southeast of Mexico City. And they're sort of living in a united order arrangement. In 1998, uh, there was an estimate done the average of six mainstream LDS families converted to the All, All Red Group per month. Okay, think about that estimated that six mainstream LDS families convert to the Allred group per month, and this is in 1998. This provides membership of 8,000 to 10,000 people throughout the world. Um, you know, and uh, Wikipedia was saying that they doubt 
that this is a sustainable number now. And there are several reasons for that, which hopefully we'll talk about in the podcast later on. And maybe I can talk to Anne Wild about, but it's interesting to note that fundamentalist sects are having the same sort of problems that all religion are having and the LDS church are having. They're having sort of this great migration, people leaving the church, questioning their beliefs, younger generations becoming less interested. So it seems that uh, the conversions are not as strong as they used to be. The vast majority of AUB members are scattered throughout the Intermountain West. There is a great concentration of families that live in the Harvest Haven subdivision of Eagle Mountain. And around Cedar City, Utah, there's also some concentrations. You know, what's interesting about, uh, I want to say about these converts, these LDS converts, there is a Temple Recommend question that LDS members have that was designed from the Strengthening Members Committee. So this this question, this Temple Recommend question, here's here's the recommend question, recommend question number seven. Do you support, affiliate with, or agree with any group or individual whose teachings or practices are contrary to or oppose those accepted by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Now, the history of how this came about is a little complicated and... This ties in with the Strengthening the Church Members Committee. And there's a 1992 Sunstone Symposium talk given by Levina Fielding Anderson and Eugene England that sort of investigates why this group was started and how it was formed. It was said to be formed in the 80s. But uh, the the rumor is that this question is specifically designed to root out polygamists. And, and it is. Now, of course, if you are a convert converting to the AUB, I do know of several who maintain their LDS church membership under the radar and are converts of the AUB. And so I don't know how they reconcile answering these questions or if they if they go through that at all. But we like to think, well, why is that question in there? The church has nothing to do with polygamy today, but that's absolutely not true. There are, to this day, still continuing today, LDS members who are investigating the AUB, and we're going to be talking about that more in just a minute. When Rulon C. Allred is murdered in 1977, he has the biggest uh, attendance of the funeral ever recorded in the state of Utah up until that time. His brother Owen Allred assumes the leadership role within the Apostolic United Brethren. He said, quote, I have felt from the beginning, even when Joseph W. Musser called me to the apostleship, that I was not qualified for this holy calling. But since Rulon placed this responsibility upon my head, I have done the very best I can, end quote. A year after Rulon Allred's death, Spencer W. Kimball, who was the president of the LDS Church at the time, announces that the priesthood could be conferred on all worthy males. This, of course, is known as the lift of the famous, you know, priesthood ban or the temple ban. And it allowed men of African descent to receive priesthood ordinations and women to uh, receive their ordinances in the temple. This reversed a policy that some say went all the way back to 1840, but there's some dispute there. Here's something interesting when I, when I said I would come back to talk about converts. In response to this, to Spencer W. Kimball announcing this, Owen, Owen Allred and the AUB take out a full-page ad in the Salt Lake Tribune. 
they they take out a full page ad. They provide all these quotations from Brigham Young, none from Joseph Smith, as Brian Hales notes, but a full page ad stating that African Americans will never have the priesthood and they are not entitled to it on this earth. Pretty racist ad, right? It's interesting. Brian Hales says that there are statistics to show that actually a decade after the 1978 pronouncement with, you know, black people being able to be ordained in the LDS church, convert baptisms to the AUB doubled and the, and the number of plural marriages performed in those 10 years more than tripled. So it sounds like a lot of LDS people who could not handle this pronouncement find the AUB a more palatable choice for them, which is very interesting and a little bit sad, a lot sad. So when we talk about how do people do this, how could people leave the LDS church and join fundamentalism, this is one of the ways. Remember, when we're talking about fundamentalist Mormons, we look at the fundamentals of Mormonism, and one of those is the tenets that the LDS church is struggling with, this idea of Book of Mormon sort of values of people of African descent, the curse of Cain, um, the lightning of skin, and the Lamanites and the Nephites and the fence sitters in heaven. These are all fundamental Mormon doctrines that fundamentalists will take with them and still ardently in most groups believe today. And so it's weird to think that the LDS church is progressive in this sense, but they absolutely are in compared to the to the fundamentalist groups. So fundamentalists see LDS church as caving to pressures of the world. When this ban is lifted, the Allreds start to believe that the LDS temples are now desecrated, right? This this means something is wrong with there, with with the temples now. Owen Allred is supposed to receive a written revelation telling him and his followers that they are now authorized to administer their own endowments. Up until this point, they were sort of finding ways to go to the LDS temples. Within three years, they build their own endowment house in Bluffdale. And then in March of 1983, they complete a temple in Ozumba, Mexico. And there's rumors that still exist that copies of some of the ordinances were obtained by purchase from apostates and liberan fundamentalists, and we'll get into that in just a minute. Since 1981, temple work from the dead have been performed by the AUB. However, they couldn't really agree, the leaders couldn't really agree on um, if they wanted to still practice the law of adoption, so this became sort of a controversy. Council members John Ray and Joseph B. Thompson, along with Ted Jessup, thought that they would seal marriages without the authorization of Owen Allred, and this created a problem because, of course, you know, the belief up until this point is only the president of the priesthood council has the authority to do this. Meanwhile, in the mid-1980s, the Allred group leaders learned that there's a group of members living in Bristol, England, about 200 miles west of London, who are interested in plural marriage and these sort of fundamentalist beliefs. So they send council members Joseph Thompson, William Baird, and David Watson, accompanied by Marianne Watson, to go proselytize to English investigators. So it's not like proselytizing doesn't happen. They they do proselytize. And over the space of a few years, they uh, were able to convert about 80 or so people to the AUB, 
and they have them sort of migrate before 1997 um, with the belief that in 1997 this catastrophic event was going to occur, and they didn't know what that was. There was also a prophecy floating around in the Alderaid group that in Utah, the construction project that was then working on the I-15 highway would never be completed, and they also said that the 2002 Olympic Games would never, ever be realized. Because of this, because of these promises, of the 80 people that were converted over half of them left the group and rejoined the LDS church. There was another controversy. I told you about their fundamentalist beliefs regarding race. In the 1990s, the AUB discovered that there was a man in their congregation who looked white but had African ancestry, and he had been ordained to the priesthood. This was a disaster for them. And it resulted in the release of Richard Coons from his position of president in the AUB's Council of the Seventy. This caused a lot of problems in the group. They were forced to grapple with what this meant. If the LDS Church could desecrate their temples by lifting the temple ban and the priesthood ban, what did it mean if the AUB accidentally ordained a black man? There are other controversies as well. Um, in the last decade or so, several members of the priesthood council were accused of child molestation. That caused the release of Joseph Thompson in 1994, and he was the last council member called in 1952 by Joseph Musser. George Maycock was released in 1998, and Chevrolet Palacios in 2002. Some of those men left AUB and sort of created their own groups having these little schisms. In 2001, Owen Allred spoke publicly regarding accusations that polygamists in Utah were guilty of promoting marriages to underage teenagers. This is when we see the Allred starting, starting to be proactive, and they weren't the only ones. When, this, when the Warren Jeff stuff starts coming out in such public ways, these fundamentalists come out and say, we are not like that. We are not abusive. We are not forcing young girls to marry older men. We are not like that. Owen Allred would be one of those. He would write in February of 2001, quote, We are not opposed to laws preventing parents or anyone else using force or intimidation to get a girl to marry against her will before she is of the age of 18, end quote. Government officials, of course, and agencies applaud him, are so relieved that he takes such a public stance. Owen still controlled sort of the narrative within plural marriages. He would say to some of his followers, quote, The minute a man turns over the finances to his wife and lets her handle the checking accounts, lets her keep track of the bookkeeping, he is lamed. No woman should ever handle the finances in a celestial family. This must be solely the responsibility of the man, the head of the family. Never discuss private problems between him and a wife with another wife. Don't accuse a wife of not loving you, and a wife must never tell her husband that he doesn't love her. A man cannot allow privileges to one wife that he does not allow to other wives, end quote. So this is the kind of instruction that they're, that they're receiving. And as LDS members, we can sort of relate to this because we have sort of this patriarchal instruction given to us in our own churches as well. And this is something that Mormon feminists talk about all the time. In 2004... Uh, the members of the priesthood council of the AUB included Owen Allred, Lemoyne Jensen, Ron Allred, Dave Watson, Lynn Thompson, Shem Jessup, Harry Bunnell, 
Sam Allred, Marvin Jessup, and more. Owen Allred would pass away on February 14, 2005, at the age of 91. His son would say, quote, Owen Allred never wanted the responsibility of leading the 5,000-member church, but shouldered the responsibility and did the best he could. During the one and a half years prior to his death, he wanted to go. I don't think that one single day passed that he didn't want to go that he didn't want to go home, end quote. It's said that prior to his death, and sort of consistent with the doctrine of the, quote, second elder, J. Lemoyne Jensen had been designated by Owen Allred as his successor. His appointment passed over several other priesthood council members with higher seniority. When Owen died, he was said to have had eight wives, raised 23 children, 25 stepchildren, and was estimated to have more than 200 grandchildren. He kept his wives in four houses next to one another in Bluffdale. He would say, quote, People have the wrong idea that we're old-time kooks who prey on young girls. I suppose I'm guilty of that. My youngest wife is 64. My oldest is 93, end quote. And he says this in the New York Times interview. He would also say in the New York Times interview, quote, It takes twice as good a man to have two wives as it does to have one. We require that man show ability to support his family and that the woman be of consenting age, end quote. I do want to say, before we move on to who succeeded him, that there were a few other controversies. It's said that Rod Williams, who was a Secret Service agent involved in Watergate and a member of the Apostolic United Brethren, claimed in sworn testimony that he stole copies of the LDS Church's temple ordinance from the Seattle Temple at the behest of Owen Allred. Owen Allred denied this claim. According to another former member, John Llewellyn, quote, plural wives of the AUB are sent into nearby Hamilton to apply for welfare as single mothers. The informant reported that welfare checks are often taken directly to priesthood leaders, end quote. Now, this is going to be something we're going to talk about when we talk about the Davis County Co-op. This idea of bleeding the beast is what it said, but the Allreds also denied this. In March of 2003, a judge ruled in a civil suit that members of the Brethren had swindled a woman out of $1.54 million in a 1989 real estate transaction. The woman, Virginia Hall, was awarded more than $3 million in compensation and interest. The same judge believed that, that Owen Allred had laundered thousands of dollars. And in a 2002 interview, uh, Owen Aldred defended himself in light of these claims. He said, quote, I am not a wicked man at all. This this Virginia Hall thing sort of became known as Bananagate because at one point bundles of bills were placed in a banana box and had to do with this money laundering, and you can, you can look that up. There's a whole controversy surrounding where this money went. So Joseph Lemoyne Jensen takes over after Owen Allred. And he ruled it from 2005 until his death. And, jo and Jensen was born in Millville, Utah, and he was a member of the priesthood council under the leadership of Joseph Musser. He went to Jordan High School and graduated in 1953 and went to work in the building industry and owned Jensen Lumber in Draper, Utah. His wives included Marilee Thompson, Marilyn Baker and Joy Rains, and there it's possible that there were others as well. Jensen would die of cancer in his home in Eagle, Utah. He had been suffering for cancer for almost five years, which forced him to sort of abandon 
the day-to-day operations of his business, and he names his successor, Lynn A. Thompson, who served as a church's priesthood council. And of course, now we're into the the late 2000s, and this is where we hear about the Browns, Cody Brown from the TLC channel, Sister Wife Show. Uh, they claim membership in the AUB. David Watson, who is a member of the priesthood council and acts as the AUB spokesperson, said that the members have seen little of the Browns since they moved to Las Vegas in 2010. He would say in an interview, quote, it's a peripheral relationship, end quote. He did make clear that uh, that their prophet Jensen was very pleased that the Browns successfully challenged Utah's bigamy statute, and they were able to get polygamy decriminalized, largely in part to the Browns' work. It's also important to note that Cody Brown's third wife, Christine, is the granddaughter of AUB founder Rulon C. Allred, so she goes back to that. I want to talk about some of their beliefs right now. The AUB are said to regard the Book of Mormon as sacred scripture, as well as the Bible. They accept the Articles of Faith written by Joseph Smith. They believe the LDS, the LDS Church is still fulfilling a divine role in spreading the Book of Mormon and other basic doctrines of Mormonism, and in doing genealogy. They think they're good stewards of records, they think they're good stewards of the land, they think they're good stewards of missionary work. However, they do not think that they uh, were right to abandon plural marriage. So they see they see our group as sort of a, a placeholder, something that's keeping this good alive, uh, many AUB members will use our paintings our, and our anything sold a desert book in their homes. They will have our LDS music. They'll listen to the Tabernacle Choir. They'll send their children at times to um, LDS Church if they don't have a, a group near them. And it's because their structure is very, very similar. The AUB is headed by the president of the priesthood, and next in authority is the priesthood council, which the president is a part of. Below the priesthood council are presidents of the 70, the 70 quorum members, which are high priests, elders, Aaronic priesthood members, and then they have the Women's Relief Society, Sunday School, Young Women's, Boy Scouts, and the Children's Primary Organizations, which may be a little bit different according to regions. And on the local level, they have bishops, they have priesthood council representatives and patriarchs, and their church houses look very similar. In fact, you might confuse them with LDS ward houses. Uh, some of their distinct differences is their belief in plural marriage, obviously, and also other key beliefs like the United Order, the Adam-God Doctrine, which is a belief that Adam is God. The Adam came to this earth as God, and Eve is also our Heavenly Mother, and she is the Eve of this world, but there are Eves heavenly mothers of other worlds, and that is what plural wives do. So the more wives a man has, the more planets he's going to have. That's the Adam-God doctrine. This is a very big fundamentalist doctrine. They also believe in what's commonly called the 1886 meeting. This is the sort of wooly John Taylor stuff we talked about. And not all their members are polygamous. They have monogamous members, but they consider polygamy a crucial step for obtaining the highest degree of heaven. They see the LDS Church important in spreading the word of Mormon's introduction to Mormonism. So they see the LDS as sort of like this primary level of church. And so they can go have the missionary program and spread the word, you know, for people to start to grasp Mormon 
tenets, and then they see themselves as sort of living the higher Mormonism, the higher law. Of course, historically, there's a fear of prosecution that have kept most of the plural families from seeking public services um, because of this long history of fear. And of course, now things are changing. The Browns coming in and doing their show has helped. The decriminalization of, of plural marriage, which or of cohabitation, which is fairly recent in Utah, has also helped. The fear has not left, especially older generations. They are very secretive. A lot of my contacts, like, uh, you know, they'll give me one phone number and it will reroute to another phone number. It's, it's very interesting for me to, to have that experience. But, um, you know, it has also prevented them from seeking sort of mainstream practices. So many fundamentalists believe in, you know, healing oils and herbs. They don't, they don't, I mean, of course, this is not across the board, but they don't always seek medical help when they could because of fear of that. The AUB is one that is trying to do that more. You know, when they have in the past gone to these services, service providers often try to rescue them from their religion, and this becomes a problem for them. So there was a group that was formed called the Safety Net Committee, and they developed what is known as the polygamy primer. And uh, the primer is supposed to be given to communities and service agencies in Utah and Arizona to sort of help people understand, you know, these different groups. And it was partnered with the Utah Attorney General's office. Polygamists um, worked with the Utah General Attorney General's office on this, but the first primer that came out they they weren't they weren't happy with because they felt like it unfairly portrayed them as victims trapped in a religious groups where abuse was sort of the culture, the norm. So they did some rewrites on it, and they sought to find some more neutral language to show that plural families face many of the same challenges as any other family. I have linked to the primer on my site so you can see it. It includes a history of polygamy in the Intermountain West. It gives a history, a glossary of terms and concepts, a description of all the various groups and their uh, respective leadership structures. And this is what I first stumbled upon when I was studying this topic years and years ago. And I remember seeing it and thinking and reading about Joseph Smith and being like, oh, that's not true. Joseph Smith wasn't a polygamist, but fundamentalists, whatever, you know, they're a little different. Turns out, I was wrong. So the primer is as neutral as it can possibly be. It's made up of, you know, different different organizations, uh, including government organizations, social and healthcare organizations, and different polygamous groups that want to say they are not like Warren Jeffs. They are not victims of abuse. Among some of the terms and practices defined in the primer are reassignment. And reassignment is a practice of giving an excommunicated man's wives and children to another man. Some polygamists believe wives and children belong to the church and not to the husband. So they talk about that in the primer. There's the law of placement, a type of arranged marriage that sometimes has involved underage girls. The law of placement basically means that couples are matched by church leaders after consultation with parents. And currently, leaders of all the major groups have denounced underage marriages. That doesn't mean that they're not doing it. They have denounced it. It also, the primer also talks about United Order, which is a system of communal living that calls for families to share their earnings and serve others in the community. 
And of course, these terms and practices vary depending on which group a polygamous family is from, including if they are uh, independent. Now, Mary Batchelor is partner to Ann Wild with Principal Voices. I have linked to a presentation she gave that kind of gives basic general tips about the different groups of fundamentalism, fundamentalists, and when you talk to fundamentalists, sort of what not to say. You don't ask how many wives they have. You don't, you don't ask about their sex life. You don't ask about anyone's sex life when you just meet them. Um, anyway, it's, it's, it's really sort of this, this primer for understanding polygamy. Um, an anti-polygamy group, uh, was really upset with this primer and accused the attorney general's office of, as being ineffective and horrendous and not stopping horrendous abuses, particularly those involving children. This group is called Tapestry, Tapestry Against Polygamy, which is now defunct. And it was actually um, Mary Batchelor. It was formed by one of her sister wives, if I remember qu- correctly, that has... Uh, it was interesting because Mary Batchelor starts Principal Voices and um, her sister wife starts Tapestry Against Polygamy, and, which is now ended. But um, they they were very critical of the primer, they said, you know, it sort of glamorizes, glamorizes this um, practice. Of course, the Safety Net Committee spent a lot of time in this. You know, in August of 2003, they have this historic summit. They put all, they bring all these law enforcement officers and social services providers together to try to talk this out. And so it wasn't like it was done lazily. Let me just read a, a piece from the primer from safety net quote marriage below the age of 18 is strongly discouraged for first marriages and is prohibited for plural marriages courtship is a matter of choice between the parties though authorization to court is first obtained from priesthood and family authorities husbands are are expected to consult with and obtain the consent of existing wives before considering courtship with another potential bride the husband or father is looked to as a patriarchal leader, but consultation with his wives is considered an important family part of family government. The AUB Priesthood Council encourages cooperation with law enforcement wherever appropriate. Law enforcement personal personnel involved in an investigation may benefit from soliciting the help of the ecclesiastical leader while making clear the scope of the investigation. Given the significant emphasis placed on personal agency, by AUB leaders and members, any generalization may be inadequate or mis- misleading. Nevertheless, the following may be said to be valid of most AUB members. The traditional roles of fathers and mothers are valued, with fathers being providers and the mothers being the nurturers at home. However, there are many women members, perhaps a majority of the adult women, who are in the workforce. Many grown children accept and maintain the religion of their parents. However, some do not. Although statistics are available, perhaps as many as 50% of grown children of AUB members do not continue in the religion, although most maintain lifelong family relationships with their AUB relatives. Such grown children who disassociate themselves from the religion, including many who are sons and daughters of AUB ecclesiastical leaders, are not exiled. Yet they generally withdraw on their own, and this is in keeping with the concepts of agency promulgated by the group. Loyalty to true and correct principles is valued, with the leaders generally being seen as leading by example. Such principles are drawn from LDS scripture and from the teachings of Joseph Smith and early Mormon leaders. 
Abuse in any form is abhorred, and in recent years especially, it has been promptly reported to proper law enforcement authorities if su suspected. It is felt that any unrepentant person who abuses is not worthy for a place in the celestial kingdom. Incest is forbidden. Sexual relations are considered permissible only between married persons. A reliance upon each other is considered a higher form of living. For this reason, the use of government aid programs such as Medicaid or food stamps, though not forbidden, is discouraged, except as a last resort. Young men often start their businesses with a majority working in the construction trades. The majority of births are at home, though hospitals and modern medicine are utilized on a somewhat regular basis. Immunization is a matter of family preference. The word of wisdom as interpreted by the LDS Church is generally observed, although there is more lax interpretations of hot or alcoholic drinks and coffee, tea, or wine are sometimes used. Education is strongly encouraged. Most children attend public school. The AUB also sponsors a number of private schools with emphasis placed upon a Christian curriculum. For those who desire, college education is encouraged. In fact, the AUB sponsors a limited scholarship program, which helps defray the cost of higher education for some students. Many members of the AUB have developed a reputation of honesty and hard work within their communities, not unnoticed by civic leaders and their neighbors. Public service is seen as a worthy cause and is encouraged by the AUB leadership. End quote. So this is sort of what the primer talks about, and that's what they had to say about the, the all-red group. And that, I find that pretty consistent with, with my experiences with members. And, of course, I will let uh, those who are current members and those who have left, if they are still willing to come on to talk about their experiences. It's important to know that the that in 2008, the Apostolic United Brethren released a public announcement to the world. This is what they said, quote, To whom it may concern, in light of the recent news activity regarding the FLDS Church and Polygamy, the AUB is issuing a press release. The Apostolic United Brethren is a legally recognized religion based in Utah, with members living primarily throughout the western United States as well as Mexico. We are a Christian-based Mormon religious group that has our roots in the original gospel restored to the earth through the prophet Joseph Smith in the early 1800s. We regard ourselves as the original Mormons and can trace our authorities and doctrines back to the prophet Joseph Smith. Although plural celestial marriage, or as others call it polygamy, is one of our basic tenets, we also hold dear many other beliefs that have the Bible and Jesus Christ at their core and consider ourselves to be Bible-believing Christians. We recognize Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and acknowledge that without his atoning sacrifice, all would be lost. In the same way that there are many Christian religions that differ in doctrine, beliefs, and tenets, so there are with many Mormon religions that differ in doctrines, beliefs, and tenets. Although we have the fundamental beliefs of Mormonism at our core, and many call us fundamentalists, we strongly defer in many beliefs that the FLDS Church that has been so much in the public eye as of late. Because of this confusion, and because of because many, quote, tar us with the same brush, end quote, so to speak, we have decided to provide a press release that is available for immediate publication. Signed, Apostolic United Brethren, dedicated to the betterment of mankind, 2031 West, 1037.30 South, Riverton, Utah, 84065. And then they issued the press release that says, quote, for immediate release. In light of the current events surrounding the beliefs and practices of the many polygamous communities, the leadership of the Apostolic United Brethren would like to clarify to the public that, quote, we are and always have been wholly opposed to abuse and oppression of any kind, and we feel it our duty to promptly report any su suspected abuse to the proper law enforcement authorities. Number two, 
We do not encourage or permit child bride marriages or arranged marriages. Instead, it is a fundamental principle of our faith that it is a sacred privilege of all male and female, when they are adequately mature, to choose whom they will marry. Forced, arranged, or assigned marriages are not part of our belief or practice. Number three, we try to encourage our people to take care of their own needs and to entirely avoid any reliance upon the government. Though there are some members of our faith who may have received government assistance, they are encouraged to become self-sustaining as soon as possible. Our teachings are to be honorable in all our financial dealings, which includes a payment of all required taxes as well as avoiding debt. Number four, although we do not have any affiliation with the LDS, with the FLDS for nearly 60 years due to some of the, these very issues, we are nevertheless deeply concerned that the Texas state agencies have violated God-given and constitutional rights of the FLDS community at the YFC Ranch contrary to the principles and freedoms that iconic America stands for. The investigation of alleged criminal activity should not lead to the unnecessarily suffering of innocent babies, toddlers, and older children there are better and more responsible ways to solve this problem. In summary, we do not support abuse of any kind and feel that the perpetrator, whether it be an individual group or a government, ought to be held accountable for perpetrating abuse. We believe in being honest in our financial dealings and in providing for our own people. We are appreciated of appreciative of this good country in which we are allowed to worship Almighty God, and we willingly pay our taxes so that these and other freedoms may be over enjoyed by all. We do not condone underage, assigned, or incestuous relationships. We abhor compulsion and oppression in all its forms and support these laws that seek to properly address these issues. Signed, the Apostolic United Brethren, end quote. I'm going to be asking Kristen and other members about their policies regarding race because while I appreciate this strong condemnation of abuse, I do find it troubling that they still adhere to such, at least as far as my understanding goes, such um, oppressions as they as they would call them as systemic racism, spiritual racism, systemic uh, sexism and spiritual sexism. And um, they see this as a patriarchal order. So I will talk to them about that. Anyway, um, this, this is sort of, I guess, my own primer on the Apostolic United Brethren. They are seen very much like we are seen um, as LDS people. We have a lot in common. I see them as very, very similar, notwithstanding Centennial Park, who I think is very similar to us also. But uh, they are more fundamentalists in some of their teachings that they have adhered to. So uh, go ahead and check out the links that I provided. Do your own additional research. Correct me if I'm wrong. I am an outsider looking into this religion, and I want to respectfully and accurately portray their policies. So thanks again for listening to another episode of the Feminist Mormon Housewives podcast.